Welcome to a slightly different episode of the ABC Music Talk podcast. I never wanted to use the current affairs category to comment purely on news items, as they're always covered properly by actual journalists. But from what I can tell, this story hasn't been talked about too much. Plus, the report that it all stems from reads like a thriller novel, so I'm kind of attracted to it like a moth to a flame. Um, It also has the potential to be absolute nonsense, yet it is a great story, so I thought I'd love to sort of tell it and have people comment on it. So take a listen and let me know what you think. I will say at this point, as this podcast is more along the lines of education through storytelling, at the very end, I reveal a true motivation for covering it. So I hope you make it all the way through. It starts like this. I got a note from a friend this week who follows let's call it music industry related activity in the financial markets, someone I trust and respect. And they sent it to me as they were genuinely curious as to what I thought, given that it has gone a little unreported, yet there seems to be enough activity past the actual report itself that suggests there is something there. So I thought I'd take a closer look. As I looked into it, I see that Digital Music News did pick up on the story in April this year. I somehow missed it. Although none of my regular sources of news seem to have covered it as far as I can tell, so perhaps that's why. So the report's titled Akazu, You Only Live Twice. Now, I'm a Bond fan, don't mind admitting that, uh, James Bond fan, and 1967 uh, film of the same title. And actually, on the front page is the iconic outward-looking eye that has blood running down it after being shot by Bond. And so it's all very kind of, at that point, you're thinking, I don't know how. Then it sort of kicks it off by explaining that It's by this company called Quintessential Capital Management, which all sounds very, very, very official. Uh, They describe themselves as an American hedge fund based in New York. And they say that their main activity consists of identifying, investigating and exposing catastrophic corporate situations in publicly traded companies such as fraud, criminal conduct or failed business models. They then go on to talk about their state-of-the-art investigation techniques and... It's some of that stuff that when I first read it, (laughs) I have to say, I was very, very suspicious as to the authenticity of it all. But, you know, as we'll we'll go through this, you'll understand what I mean. So they start the report off by giving a description and, if you like, historical context. Uh, They talk about this company, Akazoo. It's links to uh, a company called Internet Q, which had previously been the the subject of a a fraud investigation. Uh, It was listed on the AIM stock market. And the company was taken private amidst allegations of fraud by the British publication Share Profits. So this starts to sort of set the scene a little bit. And they they kind of kick it off by talking very specifically about some of the claims based on after that privatisation, this Internet IQ kind of reveals itself as Akazu. But they then start to list themselves on the Nasdaq, which is another stock market. They kick it off by talking about the company's SEC filings. And some of these numbers, to somebody like myself, that spends a little bit of time, you know, obviously having to have a general awareness of of where the market's at, they start to look very wonky from the outset. So the company claims, this is is a company called Akazoo, the company claims that they have 44 million registered users. Now, that's not paid subscribers necessarily. That's not necessarily things like monthly active users. It's just registered users. So, you know, you you often end up with a kind of a much higher number on that anyway than you might, uh, as I say, like a paid subscriber. 
um, of which 5.5 million are paying subscribers. Now that that number there is is kind of interesting because we'll we'll talk about that in a second. And revenues of 140 million dollars, and it's growing apparently at a compound rate of 24%, which you know that's pretty good uh, if it's true. One of the other stats is that 80% of revenue originates directly from consumers. It also says that the company operates in 25 countries around the world. Now, it does point very specifically to emerging markets, which might account for, you know, those sort of high numbers of registered users, right, if you you think about countries like Indonesia. I thought I'd have a little look at this because the next few pages of the report are quite a few different types of graphs. They specifically look at one of the kind of the main issues that this company, Quintessential Capital Management, take, which is that where they've investigated companies in the past, one of the things that they're often finding is that there is basically cash and taxes are missing. And so that's a kind of, a, that's a huge red flag. They start to look at things like how the profit is masking basically a very large cash burn and spending on things like intangible assets, uh, $11 million a year in intangible assets, quite a lot. But it also then sort of points out that the account receivables are growing rapidly, which, you know, is a, is a sort of a positive story to tell, if you like. But one of the big issues is that Akazu paid zero taxes in four years, which that doesn't sort of ring true, right? Then they start to look at companies in the marketplace that are kind of something similar. So to be clear, Akazu operates a a radio style service, so something akin to Pandora, but it also operates a paid subscription tier. So that kind of brings it into the the Spotify world and and the, the Apple Music world, of course. So I... They had a whole load of stats and graphs and things like that. So I thought I'd take the SEC numbers and actually then just directly compare it to some numbers from companies that I am very familiar with. I know the owners of them. And so therefore, for me at least, these are trusted numbers. So just a very quick reminder, they they talk about having 44 million registered users, of which 5.5 million are paying subscribers. So let's just focus on, on those for a second. There was a media report earlier on this year and they break down the subscription market and they talk about 400 million global paying subscribers. So just to give you some idea of what those numbers might look like. So the industry leader, if you like, is Spotify. According to media, there are 128 million paying subscribers. Apple Music sits at 72 million. And Amazon, which my understanding is includes both Prime as much as it does Unlimited. And I know that Amazon have a few other you know, price tiers within their, within their structure, but that's, that's looking like 56 million. So these are the sorts of numbers that, that you know, we're, we're looking at here. Now, Deezer have around 8 million paying subscribers. And these, these are the companies that if you work in the, on the label side or you work in digital distribution, these are the companies that, you know, are where most of your revenue comes from. And, you know, there's a sharp kind of drop off as you start to get down into some of the other some of the other services outside Spotify and Apple Music in particular. That would mean that your Akazu revenue should be somewhere in that sort of top 10. Now, I am in a privileged position. I know a lot of people in the industry. I was able to take a look at some statistics over the last five years uh, against some of the, the biggest artists in the world. And I can tell you that the Akazu revenue for those artists is in the sort of pocket change kind of area, both in terms of numbers of streams as much as it is actual revenue received over five years. 
and it there's absolutely no way therefore as far as i'm concerned that the that the numbers are correct the report does then continue on and starts to look at other things in particular social media statistics and again it sort of goes through that kind of comparison with other services and kind of looks at follower counts and other things like that but i decided to do a little bit of research myself first of all i thought i know from the data that i was given by somebody that the only countries where the revenue originates from are poland zambia and cyprus now looking at each of those the dominant social media platform is facebook on all of them cyprus it's about 90 percent poland it's 50 to 80 percent and this is over the last 12 months so it sort of obviously changes a little bit and zambia it's 50 to 60 but so therefore facebook kind of is the kind of the main one so looking at the akazu facebook page there are essentially no new posts since 2017 there was one post in 2018 all of the engagement is less than sort of 10 likes if you like or a few comments maybe and then in April, there's this sort of flurry of posts and a couple of them have somewhere in the region of sort of two to 600 likes. And then it just completely falls away again to sort of that sort of sub five likes. So which says to me that there was something going on around those couple of posts that they were doing, or at least that's the sort of analysis that when we look at signing an artist and they're quoting certain social media statistics at us, we will then go and have an actual look to look at things like engagement and try and work out whether it's consistent or not. So the report itself is a really fun read. It, it goes on to talk about how they've actually sent agents to go and stand outside their offices or and they've got all these sort of pictures of and how they're not listed on any of the signs outside of the, the buildings. They're going to talk to a reception staff on these kind of big buildings that have a sort of shared reception and they talk about how yes no they were here and now they're not here or there was only one person left or they also get into some of the reviews that you see on say like the google store and they and they they pull out pictures of the people that have actually posted positive reviews and it turns out that all of them are either members of the akazu teams including the, like the brother of the ceo and, and things like this it's it, you know it's and then they're putting these kind of smiley emojis on these graphics, which when I first saw that, I thought, if this is a serious American hedge fund, that is a weird thing to put on an official document. Oh, and by the way, I might add that at the very beginning of it, there is this wonderful disclaimer, which kind of reads like everything in the document is believed to be reliable. But then it kind of sort of says something along the lines of, but who knows if it is, right? And it's just this sort of wonderful kind of, yeah, it, it, it's, all, it's all correct, maybe. Uh, definitely maybe, uh, as a music reference there for you. It's a 45-page document, and as you go through it, the sensationalism of it continues to grow. They do this comparison between Akazu and Pandora on their social channels, and on Instagram, for example, there's this wonderful graphic that has this 1,500 times overrepresented in terms of numbers of followers versus the other now i say when i looked at that i kind of went well yeah but in the countries that this this company akazu are, are purporting to to operate in no one's using instagram in that in that in those countries so that's not a great surprise you know whereas pandora is a us based service and instagram's huge although actually when you look at the Facebook comparison, it's still, you know, something similar, uh, 370 times overrepresented. Now, as I say, when I looked at that, they have an awful lot of followers, 20,000 or so. But when you actually look at the engagement on the post, it's, there's clearly something going on there because there's just no way you'd get that such low engagement 
you know, with the, with that sort of number. They also look at Google Trends and how many times the word Akazu has been searched for. Again, things like that. They they don't necessarily prove anything on on their own. I don't think it's perhaps just additional context that they were trying to give. Uh, again, they they were doing comparisons between Akazu and Deezer and Akazu and Pandora, and you know, trying to sort of demonstrate that there is a correlation there. Uh, and uh, by the way, not, I'm not saying I disbelieve it. I just you know. It, I, any one of these things on its own doesn't obviously prove anything. They also look at the number of times downloads occurred. And again, what they find is that it's it's virtually negligible. They're using third-party applications to do this. So it's not like they've got the official numbers. But regardless, they again do that kind of comparison against other known services and, and the numbers are stark. You know, they are, they are completely incomparable in that sense. One of the other things that they point to is the headcount, which seems to decrease fairly rapidly. The, the headcount decreased by 17% per year from 45 to 26, and that's during the period of 2016 to 2018. Yet they claim a revenue growth rate of 24%, which just doesn't, that just doesn't tally. That's not how that works normally. So on the 26 or less people of $145 million in sales implies a most unlikely $5.5 million of sales per employee. This ratio is eight times higher than the ratio for its peer group and for companies such as Facebook or Apple, which are essentially industry leading in terms of those ratios. It then goes on to talk about how they actually visited a bunch of the, the different offices around the world in the UK, in Greece, and it, it seems as if those offices are now shut, people aren't doing anything. I also noticed that on the website they had a, a link to investors which now goes to a broken page link it then looks at all the different countries that it's supposed to be operating in uh, they take quotes from the sec filings that say akazu's revenues derive primarily in emerging markets including poland russia malaysia thailand indonesia ecuador brazil and mexico among others yet as i said earlier very few of those countries actually appear on any of the the, the revenue reports the royalty reports for some of the biggest artists in the world which, which had licensed their music to this service. So I personally concur with the findings here, which are essentially there is almost nothing going on in any of these markets for this company. They look at the number of reviews and comments in the various app stores and again find pretty much that either there's very little activity or some highly suspicious activity going on. They eventually start to conclude by looking at what they think was actually going on here. So they had real suppliers real clients and investors all producing these real transactions into an Akazu and then you've kind of got on the other side these suspicious transactions so acquired entities for example so investments in companies payment processing companies and suspicious suppliers and all of that's kind of going into this sort of undisclosed management control and that's where it all starts to get a little bit murky. And to help explain that, what I'm going to do is just read verbatim the conclusion from the report. The overwhelming evidence we have presented in this report suggests a grim picture for the true nature of and prospects of this company. Financial and numerical analysis, size of workforce, reduction of staff and office space, all point to a small and rapidly shrinking company. How can we reconcile this with the claimed revenue and growth rate boasted by Akazu? Which is really at the kind of crux of all of this. Sorry, I'm ad-libbing now. Based on the circumstantial evidence we presented, we believe that Akazu may be dramatically inflating revenue figures using a combination of payment processes and shell companies in third countries. 
these shell companies might pose as partners, resellers, vendors, and issue fake invoices to Akazu. These transactions might well evade the auditor's checks as they would originating countries outside of the company's domicile, e.g. Indonesia, Malaysia, Cyprus. Similarly, the company might hide any cash shortfall by inflating costs, especially cost of goods sold, in brackets, $100 million in 2019, and investments in intangible assets, $11 million in 2019. The former consists primarily in royalties paid to music label companies. We hypothesize that Akazu might have either colluded with or outright fabricated small music label companies that generate fictitious cost invoices for non-existing music streams. If this opinion proves correct, Akazu might have orders of magnitude smaller than it claims, with a tiny and shrinking revenue base and a yearly loss of approximately $4 million a year. Which raises an interesting point. When I was doing my research and I was looking through some of the reviews of the apps on, uh, say, like the Google App Store, I saw that some of the reviews, it described the fact that when they were on the service, they couldn't actually find any original music. They could only find these kind of slightly poor covers of bigger records, which does suggest that they perhaps had a sort of, you know, factory making of cover songs, uploading that, and and very legitimately, therefore, claiming the revenue from those streams for themselves by another company you know which isn't great that's that's kind of that's very much going against the the idea of if you're going to license original music then you really should just license original music that's very circumstantial i I, but that was kind of one of my suspicions about what one of the other ways that they were siphoning off money into third-party companies for themselves but one of the one of the most brilliant parts to this is is the they have this page at the right at the very end of the report and it's big red letters a warning to Akazu's management team which I love a warning Uh, we are entitled to express our opinion and you are entitled to respond to our serious allegations however should you instead choose to threaten legal action against us we will respond with ferocious aggressiveness in bold type I might add which I think is excellent Uh, and it goes on with more of that kind of uh, slightly ridiculous uh, prose Uh, and then pictures of police raiding uh, another unit which could be quite frankly anything at all but still it's a a wonderful read Uh, I'm going to put a link to the document in the show notes Uh, I hope you enjoy reading it I did of course uh, do more research I was looking at uh, postings on Forbes and Yahoo Finance and a whole lot of other kind of you know fairly legitimate looking uh, you know reports. As I said at the very beginning, one of the things I really wanted to kind of get to here was explain why I was telling this story, not just to beat down on Akazu, more to describe one of the constant issues I've experienced in all of the years that I've been licensing music to DSPs. The amount of blind trust that record labels and their digital distribution partners have to go through is, well, quite frankly, slightly insane. Almost no auditing of DSPs goes on when companies fall below the size of majors and a handful of large independents. Therefore, these DSPs can for years operate, sucking plays or downloads from legitimate services, only to go bust and not pay through money from the exploitation, no matter how small. It's why when approaching new markets and companies, record companies and distributors often have to ask for advances and minimum revenue guarantees and a bunch of other things. And the downside to that is hopefully obvious. Those large invoices 
are crippling to the development of any new business, especially in markets where the literal economic differences in currency valuation are so stark that imposing often Western valuations of a catalogue on them means a deal isn't feasible or absolutely guarantees failure from the beginning. Personally, I've always tried to take a more human approach to this, building relationships with the people at the company and often going to the deals knowing that the mission of the deal feels right, even if the commercial outcome is risky. And to attempt not to impinge too stringent requirements on them, meaning that if I have a good understanding of the actual cost of doing business, as opposed to basing my requests on hopeful profits, then at least the artist music that I represent can stand a chance of finding a new audience. Now remember, my borrowed from somewhere stance on being active in the music industry. The only two things that matter are the artist and the audience. Anything in between is either getting in the way or enhancing that relationship. Thank you for listening.